Hello, and welcome to The Promise of Discovery, a podcast where members and investigators at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center talk about their research in intellectual and developmental disabilities. Good afternoon, my name is Sissy Peters and I am here with Dr. Lori Cutting, who is the Patricia and Rhodes Hart Professor of Special Education, Professor of Psychology, Radiology, and Pediatrics, Associate Director of the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center, Director of IDDRC Translational Neuroimaging Core C, and the Faculty Director of the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center Reading Clinic. Say hello, Dr. Cutting. Hello. <laughs> While we'll talk today about the NIH Merit Award that Dr. Cutting received last year, first I'd like to get to know a bit more about you and how you became involved in your work. Can you tell us just briefly about um, how long you've been at Vanderbilt? So I've been at Vanderbilt 10 years now, um, going on 11 actually. So fall of 2020 will be 11 years. Awesome. Can you tell us a bit more about how you became interested in disabilities research? Sure. Um, I actually became interested in disabilities research during a year that I took off from college. And I worked in an elementary school, and there was uh, three first grade classrooms that I worked with. As part of my duties at this elementary school, I was asked to read to small groups of kids as they were learning how to read, of course, which is something you do in first grade, is learn how to read. And um, one of the kids really struggled with learning how to read. And I thought it was so interesting because he was a really, really smart little boy. And um, I, I thought it was just sort of so mysterious and, and wanted to understand why he couldn't learn how to read. And I watched as the year go on that he got more and more frustrated and you know felt more and more sort of like not feeling great because he couldn't learn how to read and other kids around him were learning how to read. And that just kind of started my journey towards wanting to understand more about why some kids learn how to read effortlessly and why others struggle to do so. That's fascinating. And think about how many kids and families you've impacted since you began your work in this field. It's amazing. Um, I know that we briefly described several of your titles during the introduction. Can you tell us a bit more about your position at Vanderbilt? Well, I have sort of a number of different hats, I guess, that I, that I have at Vanderbilt. Um, the one that's most pertinent to the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center, of course, is being the associate director of the Kennedy Center. So along with the director of the institute, Dr. Jeffrey Newell, um, he and I sort of try to set strategic directions for the Kennedy Center, make decisions about sort of uh, where to put resources and where to put efforts in in terms of to grow the center. Um, we recruit new faculty members, um, you know, make some decisions about scientific directions. And so, um, you know, I think we work together well as a team. He is more basic science trained. And I'm more social scientists trained. And so the two of us together, I think, make a nice combination in terms of representing everything that the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center covers, from basic sciences to outreach and working with families. Wonderful, wonderful. It sounds like a great team that you have. 
I would like to know um, a bit more about the research you're doing, but before we get too far, I would like to highlight the fact that only a handful of female researchers at Vanderbilt have ever been recognized for the prestigious NIH Merit Award. More specifically, you are the first Peabody researcher ever so recognized. That's a tremendous accomplishment. Thank you. Can you tell me a bit more about what you're studying with this $3 million grant? Yes. So we are studying this, basically in a nutshell, we're studying sort of this intriguing phenomenon of how cognitive control processes in the brain, so things that are sort of higher level um, processes, how those relate to academic development. So in more simple terms, thinking about when children enter kindergarten, they're supposed to be learning math and reading and growing in those areas. And so in this grant, what we're doing is we're studying how those processes grow, and we're looking at the brain in combination. But the thing that we're really trying to understand in the brain is how certain cognitive control functions or sort of higher, higher level functions um, for those of you who might know, the, the prefrontal cortex is the area that I'm talking about in the brain um, most specifically. And we're trying to understand how that plays a role in helping kids uh, grow in terms of their math and reading skills and how that might influence how well those who are struggling with reading so we're taking a group of kids in first grade who are struggling with reading and we're trying to understand how these cognitive control areas of the brain may influence their and predict their responsiveness to reading intervention. So, so one of the things that's sort of interesting that people often ask is, why would you want to do neuroimaging with children? You know, first of all, a lot of times people wonder, is it safe? And it is safe. It's, a, it's like a big magnet, so you're not doing anything that's harmful for children. It's FDA approved to, to put children in an MRI scanner. Um, so in that sense, it's harmless. But even so, it takes time, and, you know, it's a little, it can, the kids can be a little scary, scared of it, although I'll tell you that most, most of the time it's the adults who are more nervous about getting an MRI scanner <laughs> than children. Um, but you might ask, like, why, why would you do this? And so the, the reason why we're doing this is that we can see things in the brain that predict how well children learn that other things that are observable, like asking someone to read some words or asking someone to take uh, a test like people do generally at school in terms of, you know, maybe, you know, those bubble tests that people might remember taking when they were younger. So if you take tests like that, um, there's, there's parts of those tests that we can't figure out how to predict how, if someone's going to have trouble reading or if someone's math skills are not going to grow like they should be. We still haven't figured that out. But it turns out that there's some things in the brain that you can see that you can't at this time measure by, for example, those bubble tests or asking people to do certain things like reading words or doing math calculations. And so it turns out that some of those indices that you get from the brain can be quite helpful predicting future outcomes. And one of the things that is particularly important in terms of this point is that you can have two children in a classroom, say child A and child B. And child A and child B can seem like they're learning to read just as well. So if you have 
child A and child B and they're beginning readers in first grade and they seem like, you know, they might be struggling a little bit, but, you know, in general, they're kind of at the same level. And so you're trying to decide, should we put resources into doing intervention with child A or child B or child A and B? Well, since they look the same on reading tests, you can't really tell if one of them is going to have trouble you know, down the road and the other one is not. Sure. So it turns out from our research that there is suggestion at this point that there might be some things in the brain that might help us better predict in that situation of child oh. A and B who seem like they're performing exactly the same might help us predict the outcome which would be very helpful in terms of eventually understanding, okay, when we have child A and B and they look similar, we're going to do this, this, and this with them, and then it's B who's going to get intervention, and maybe A doesn't because a child with a with child A's profile is going to grow just fine, and they don't wow. need to have specialized intervention. That's incredible. I, I think that, um, you know, what I'm – what I'm hearing you say is that up till now, up till now being in, in recent years, we've only had output measures to evaluate if a child needs support or not. So it depends what you mean by output. So, so, so imaging measures have been around for about um, 25 years now. Okay, okay. I'm thinking in terms of before we started looking into the brain – we were using only paper and pencil tests to see if a child was growing or not growing, and this is going to give us insight. Right. Okay. So, um, so what's interesting about MRI is that, you know, the the first MRI paper or the first MRI research done on reading was about twenty five years ago, okay. and at that time it was sort of revolutionary because people didn't know, you know, what was going on in the brain when people were reading. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out now, 25 years later, that we have a pretty well-defined signature of what's happening in the brain when people are reading. And so it's only been, you know, maybe in the last five, maybe 10 years, probably more like five, that we've been able to say, you know, that we've understood enough about what's happening in the brain while people are reading to actually use that in a way that goes beyond just asking what is the brain doing when people are reading so now because there's been that whole nice body of research over the last 25 years we're able to really kind of like take the next step and use it in terms of figuring out can we use it to predict outcomes so that we can help children more that's wonderful um, and that leads actually to the next question that I was going to ask. Um, as an educator, I sometimes hear people say that brain research is so far down the road, it isn't directly applicable to the classroom. How would you respond to that question with the information that we already know from this interview? Why is it so vital to study? So I would say that I think that people are right, that there isn't a direct correlation at this point in time between what we study in the brain and what you're going to do in the classroom. But there's sort of two ways to look at it. So the first thing that I think is really important to understand is that brain research has already had a fairly significant broader impact in terms of education. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 25 years ago, going back to 25 years ago, people didn't really know that teachers are really, you know, they thought, but they didn't actually have evidence for the fact that when teachers are teaching kids to read, they are changing their brain. 
and they're impacting brain processes. And that has actually had, I think, a pretty significant impact in terms of thinking about implementing reading instruction as a scientific process, Mm. that you're impacting a child's brain every day when you're going in and you're working with them as a tutor or a teacher, you are changing their brain. And um, that was actually shown, you know, that's actually been shown over the last 25 years, which really has had a lot of impact on the way we approach reading instruction, the policies that have been made, and things like that. So that's sort of a more broad impact that neuroscience in this area has had. The second reason why, uh, how, how I think neuroscience research impacts education is, or the second sort of branch of your question, mm-hmm. is that neuroscience research, even though it isn't necessarily impacting, directly impacting reading instruction today, and by that I mean that we don't, we are not able to say, we've put this child in the scanner, we see what their brain is doing, and see their brain patterns, so we know that this child needs this type of instruction. There certainly is not that level of correspondence at this point, and that is a ways off. However, brain research may actually help us refine how we screen and teach and approach um, reading instruction with children. So by that I mean, for example, in this um, research project that we've been talking about, it could be that we find that children with, you know, patterns A, B, and C seem to grow just fine in their reading and math instruction, then it might be that we can refine some of those paper pencil tests Mm. um, and ways that we assess reading and math so that we're able to capture the students who, students that have maybe ABC profiles and grow just fine, and then the ones who have profiles D, E, and F, they don't grow as well or as expected and they start to flounder in reading and math but it may be again going back to this idea that you may have if you have a b c d e f profiles those kids may be performing at the beginning of first grade they may look all the same on their reading and math scores but brain imaging may help us understand that there's actually these different profiles that grow in different ways And then we can go back and say, is there a better way that we could measure that um, that doesn't require putting somebody in an MRI scanner? In the position that I currently have now, um, running the Vanderbilt Reading Clinic, this makes me so excited about the ways in which this could help our kids and families down the road. Um, And I think it, it has the potential to completely change the way that we view reading and education. It makes me so hopeful also um, for the work that has been done and will be done uh, as you continue um, and others in this field. Can you tell me just a bit about how it builds on your previous work? So it builds on our work in the sense that, you know, we've been studying reading processes since, you know, for, for the last couple of decades. And, and I guess going back to what I was saying about 25 years ago, mm-hmm. that you know, we were really just trying to understand patterns in the brain and what did it look like? What did it look like when somebody was trying to comprehend a story? What did it look like when somebody was just asked to read some words or was just sitting there and doing nothing? Mm-hmm. It turns out that your brain is never doing nothing, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, so um, 
But the, um, so I think how it builds on previous work is kind of the same way that I was sort of talking about the larger field and how the larger field has sort of gone from understanding what's going on in the brain when you're asked to do certain different cognitive processes Mm -hmm. to now taking that information and trying to understand how can that be used to identify and help treat individuals who are struggling with different types of difficulties, either learning disabilities or, you know, more broadly, other things that impact the brain. Perfect. No, thank you. Um, Can you tell us a bit, going back to your study specifically, um, can you tell us a bit more about um, who is involved? I know you said the age of the the children. Um, Are you still recruiting for this? Oh, yes. We've just begun. So um, this will be, this is definitely a longer term study. And um, it's it's over five years and possibly ten. Wonderful. Um, and um, you know they they're they're kindergartners that we're recruiting, mm-hmm. and we we have them come in and they do a brain scan and some testing, and then we follow them through uh, up until first grade, and then we take the children who are struggling with reading and give them intervention and they also okay. will get another brain scan at that point okay um dr getting you've told us quite a bit about this study itself and um, what is on the horizon for you and the lab so we have a lot of interesting things that are on the horizon i think um we are exploring different ways that people learn information from reading and if there's ways that we can construct text that helps them learn better from reading. Um, and so that's one area of our, um, that our lab is working on. Uh, other areas are trying to understand more about where math and reading, in terms of where, how that processing is happening in the brain for people who are struggling in math and reading, what's different about those regions, what's the same. Uh, and then there's a, areas of study that are focused on trying to understand more about the impact of socioeconomic status Mm -hmm. on brain function and um, how maybe one's home environment in terms of enhancing literacy and reading activities, how that could maybe interact, how that interacts with the influences of socioeconomic status and if, if potentially that could sort of be a very positive influence on brain development. Uh, so that's wonderful. No, and, and as we look at the disparity within reading achievement and, and the percentage of children reading at grade level at third and eighth grade, third grade and eighth grade, um, we need some more solutions of this kind. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this work develops, uh, in the future. Thank you so much, Sissy, for asking me all these interesting questions that, that uh, it's always fun to sort of review the work that we've done and think about future work. And also very nice to know that some of the work that we are doing has some influence on um, the work that you do. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would ask you, um, would from your point of view, why does this research matter to people with disabilities and their family, and what do you see as the impact? Thank you for that question. I think uh, I think that my biggest concern 
both when I was um, in the field specifically teaching and, and now in the clinic setting, is that we want to make sure that we can get the right intervention to our kids as early as possible. And so if we had better insight as to which intervention might work for each individual child, that would expedite the process. And that really intrigues me. And that makes me very excited for our families as well. How, how might it push related research forward, do you think? I think that this is a turning point in research, really, or over the past 25 years, as you described. Um, I think that before we were only able to use paper and pencil measures to see if a child was progressing or not, and this is really going to help um, transform the way that we're able to look at progress and, uh, and look at interventions and the precision of that, which is very exciting. And, you know, we talked a little bit about policy implications that have happened in the past 25 years as a result of some of the brain imaging research. But I'm curious, since you're sort of on the ground day to day dealing with families and children and schools, do you think that any of this research going forward will have policy implications? And if so, what, what type of implications do you see on the horizon? So I think the way that I see it, um, it's it's happening right now. It's happening in the way that we have um, many states that have adopted laws on dyslexia, and I see it in the way that uh, different states are adopting um, scientifically-based curricula for reading um, and, and making that a mandate. That wasn't a mandate before. And as you said, you know, this is – we are able to – impact the growth and the connections within the brain of each child that we teach. And so we need to make sure that the curriculum that we're picking um, matches that and, and, and promotes that growth and development. And so I see that being the biggest impact right now going forward in policy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's sort of from my point of view, that's what I've seen as well. Um, and there's certainly a lot, of, a lot of movement at this point in time with the dyslexia laws. It's, it's very exciting having having an incredible younger brother who has dyslexia um, and hearing parallel stories at times uh, between what I heard at home growing up and, and even listening to parents today, 20-something years later, uh, something needs to change. And I really feel like we're on the brink of that change right now, largely because of this research. So that makes me very, very excited. With so much going on both in your professional life and with your wonderful family at home do you find time to read any type of of books for pleasure is there any type of books that you enjoy reading i do actually i read a fair amount um and uh you know all different topics but i generally like to read fiction okay Wonderful. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you learned some fascinating information about Dr. Cutting's incredible work. Until next time, have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to The Promise of Discovery. Be sure to visit the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center website at vkc.vumc.org to learn more about today's episode. And tune in next time for more on the innovative research and intellectual and developmental disabilities from the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center.